This week is Mental Health Awareness Week in the UK. The PRCA's latest census states that one in three PR professionals have experienced mental health issues, while the 2019 CIPR State of the Profession report reveals that nearly a quarter of practitioners have taken sickness absence from work on the grounds of stress, anxiety or depression. Furthermore, around one in four of those people who discussed their mental health with a manager said that nothing happened as a result. Now, I've been fairly open about my own experiences of mental health in the past. Ten years after being diagnosed with clinical depression, I first revealed my condition publicly in a blog post in 2014. And then pretty much three years ago to the day from this podcast, actually, I spoke publicly about it for the first time at a CIPR event. Now, at that time, no one seemed to be willing to talk openly about their experiences. But that, at least, has changed in the last three years. In a special edition of the podcast today, I'm joined by Leanne Aaron and Alistair Beach, two communications professionals who've not only publicly discussed their own mental health experiences, but who've campaigned for ways in which mental well-being in the workplace can be improved. And today we're focused on one major topic. Is the level of digital connectivity we experience as communications professionals detrimental to our mental health? This is Digital Download, a podcast that explores the latest thinking in digital communications, PR and social media. Here's your host, Paul Sutton. Back in February, I went through a few weeks where my mental health dipped. I suffer from seasonal affective disorder and just like clockwork, I experience a spell of depression every year during that month. I know it's coming, I manage it the best I can and I just kind of ride it out. This year though, something different happened. It's common for me to back away from social media when I'm depressed, but this year I started to get really sick of it i started to get irritated by the amount of just dross in my facebook feed and on my instagram profile and over the course of a couple of months i started to really resent the sheer volume of information i was subjected to all the while seemingly unable to break the addictive nature of visiting the apps to see what was going on there it was in the middle of march that i finally cracked um, one evening, while I was sitting talking to my very supportive wife, I just broke down about how I hate the pressure that social media puts on us, how so much of what I'm exposed to is either toxic or self-promotional bravado, how false it all is, and yet how trapped I feel due to working in the industry. I remember saying to her that I felt absolutely powerless to do anything about it. But the following week, to all intents and purposes, I came off both Facebook and Instagram. Now, I need profiles in order to do my job properly and to experiment with the new features. But I now have no friends on Facebook and my Instagram profile is private. More to the point, I've not visited either of those apps, other than for work reasons, in the last two months. And it feels good. I mean, really good. I feel mentally healthier and more balanced as a result. Now that begs a question to me, does social media and more broadly speaking digital connectivity have an adverse effect on our mental well-being when as communications professionals it's part and parcel of what we do? 
I'm Leanne Aaron. I've got about seven years experience in communications across the public and private sector and currently I'm consulting and doing some interim work. My interest in mental health in the workplace really kicked off back in 2017-18. I was one of the many communication professionals that responded to the Manchester Arena terror attacks. At the time, I worked for the Fire and Rescue Service and we were responding to everything from the world's media to uh, stakeholder engagement, working with partners. But it was after the dust settled and you started to look around at the team and you realised that everyone wasn't really OK, that you thought, hmm, you know, this is having understandably an emotional impact. But it wasn't actually until about three months later when I was at home in the shower that I just uncontrollably started crying and I had no idea why that had happened and cut a long story short I was diagnosed with PTSD as a result of what myself and my team had been through working and managing such a large-scale and traumatic incident. Now Leanne's circumstances could be considered to be relatively unique in that she had to try and cope with a truly terrible situation. But her story of mental ill health is far from uncommon across all walks of communications. I'm Alistair Beach and I work at the University of Manchester. My full title is Senior Social Media Coordinator and I work within the Division of Communications and Marketing. About six years ago I I was working in a government agency and just having a bit of a a rough time really and and was signed off work for a couple of months through a kind of mix of, of depression and anxiety. And I was able to return to work, you know, within a couple of months. And, you know, since then, I've been pretty well. One of the major reasons that I'm a lot better is because of doing stuff like this and talking. And I think originally I was very closed off, particularly with friends and family. Mental health just wasn't something that we talked about in the family. And certainly with friends, you know, male friends in particular, that that wasn't something that we, we talked about. So I actually find this very therapeutic. So what's the link between Leanne, Alistair, myself and the one in three people working in communications who've experienced a mental health issue? Is it the job? Is it social media? Or is it something else? I think it's the connectivity we have, particularly with our devices. And I think the way that those mobiles and and the apps within the mobiles are designed can negatively affect individuals because I guess it's things like notifications. It's the amount of content within those apps. It's fear of missing out on stuff. I don't think it's necessarily one social network or one platform. I think it's the fact that we've got, you know, multitude of these apps on our phones. And it's just the the connectivity and the fact that our phones are usually on 24-7 and they're usually next to us. I think that maybe that's the issue. Now, there's an argument to say that we don't have to be so connected. We don't have to be on Twitter or Facebook. We don't have to be permanently joined to our mobiles. It is our own choice where we have a presence. But it's not quite that simple, and that goes well beyond the communications industry. Everyone has the same challenge when it comes to digital. I think these days it's such a statement if you come off Facebook or if you come off Instagram. It's a social stigma as well around it. Some people are like, oh, well, why? And then you sort of go, oh, well, you know, it wasn't making me feel too great. So it's this whole conversation, again, about mental health and you know, oh, can't you manage it? Well, it's, it's not about that. It's about where different people are at different times of the day, week, month and in their life and, and what 
the priorities are for them at that moment. Sometimes being attached to their phone isn't the best thing. Now, let's be clear about this. I'm not saying that we all need to do what I did and kill Facebook and Instagram for the sake of our mental well-being. There are other ways of dealing with this, as Alastair points out. I guess it depends on who you surround yourself with, who you follow, who's in your networks. And I think that's where individuals can make their own choices. What I tend to try and do is trim down who I'm actually following. I'm getting content from people that I I really want to hear from. And neither am I saying that social media is evil. A lot of how you view social media is down to your own state of mind. And I know this to be the case from personal experience. What I really feel is that when you're in a positive place, you only see the positive things and you use it positively. So right now in my personal life, I'm actually I'm in a really great place professionally and personally. So I'm really engaged on Facebook in a number of different groups and I love it. You know, I get to go on, I can contribute to conversations, I listen to conversations, I I ask for help, I get responses and all I seem to see at the minute is positive. You know, I really see it from a positive place. But the story was really different a year ago. And a year ago, when my own mental health wasn't doing too great, it was a different story. And all I could see around me was how amazing everyone else was doing and how I couldn't seem to live up to anything, fulfill anything. And social media, I think, then negatively impacted on the situation it was actually about a year ago that I turned off all of my notifications on my phone on my phone I don't have any notifications for emails Instagram LinkedIn Skype Facebook Twitter none of them I have no notifications it was a piece of advice that I was given back then it was about my choice stop deep breath where are you mentally are you having a good day On a scale of 1 to 10, how ready are you today to take on the world? And if it's anywhere below 6, don't even open that app. That all said, however, I don't think there's any real doubt that comms as an industry is extremely challenging due to the level of digital connectivity that's required of us and the need to be always on. We face some pretty unique challenges simply because of the way we're always on. When it comes to online, we're quite often the front line of defence. There are a couple of people that spoke to me uh, in detail about um, they worked in lo- local authorities and the trolls um, that they had to either ignore or manage or deal with, but just what it took out on them of reading through some of those things. So not only that, the pressure, the way that we're always as comms people, happy, can-do people, that's a pressure in the comms industry that maybe someone in finance or someone in HR might not have to deal with as a stereotype. I do think that if you are a, a social media manager or if you're a communications professional, you're effectively going to be working out of hours and I think that unless you have a either a rotor or an agreement in place with your your workplace, then I think it can really take its toll on someone. The lines can blur between work and personal very, very uh, frequently. It's very easy to get sucked into your kind of personal feeds when you're doing work. So, you know, one thing that, that I've tried to do is have work accounts, which which is basically an account where we can log in and it's not connected to either of us in the team. 
and uh, it means that none of our friends are on there. There's no content really on there that we care about in terms of personal lives. So I do think we're in a period of time where both areas have merged. But what I do think you, what people need to do is just be really kind of clear with their employers. The employers need to be really clear with them about what's expected. And then you can kind of make choices around how you use these apps. But it's very, very difficult. It's taken me a long time to kind of work out a good routine for my work because I used to get sucked in a lot. In my view, the communications industry doesn't really get the recognition it should for how digitally switched on people working in it are all of the time. Those of us who manage social media channels tend to shrug off the pressure of seeing everything first and responding quickly as just part of the job, which it is. But it can take a real toll on us mentally. I don't know if there is such a thing as work life and personal life anymore. As a consultant, I choose when to work and when not to work, but I'm in a very fortunate position. Most comms people really are always on, purely because they use social media professionally and personally. They never get a break, and the sheer volume of information, both good and bad, that supplies us with can be totally overwhelming. That's why I quit Facebook and Instagram. You can't separate work from your home or good from bad. I believe that hits everyone at one stage or another. One of my first tasks when I joined the Fire and Rescue Service was, we kind of do social, but Leanne, you know, you're young. Make this, make this happen. And I loved it. Oh, I was on all the time. Out of hours, I was checking the Twitter feed. I was responding to Facebook comments. And it did so many positive things for for that organisation. And I know many other people have experienced the same thing back in those you know five, six years ago when we were trying to build all our followings. But then there comes a point when suddenly you realise that you want to go and have a glass of wine on a Friday night and you don't trust yourself to respond on Twitter. <laughs> or suddenly having it go ping, 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 ping at the weekend when you're out competing your horse is actually really, really inconvenient. And you start to harbour some of these negative feelings. If an organisation wants and, and should do, be online, it should be providing its frontline staff with the right tools to facilitate that. Now, from my perspective, it's not just the volume of information we're exposed to that can be overwhelming, but also the nature of that information. It's no secret that trust in social networks has fallen drastically over the last couple of years, and that's primarily due to the prevalence of fake news. So does being exposed to false and fake all day, every day, have an impact on our mental health? It's quite disturbing to see people consuming this fake content is harmful really and there's a lot of harmful content within Facebook groups and on Twitter and WhatsApp etc and I do think that's a real problem I think that the networks are really struggling to deal with this falseness it's sad that, that people will believe things that they see in, in these feeds but I guess you know the nature of something like a Facebook group is that you feel like you're part of something and you're more likely to believe something that's maybe within a, a Facebook group that you've joined or it's come from one of your friends <laughs> as well. So I, I do think it's a problem and I don't really know how it's going to be solved. People trust what they read in Facebook groups a lot more than they will their local news site putting up some clickbait. When my mum tells me, oh, I've seen it on Facebook, I sort of have to go roll my eyes a little bit and say, uh-huh, you know, <laughs> just because it's on Facebook, mum, you know, you can't always believe what you read. 
five years ago when I went round to crews and crews of firefighters explaining to them the risks and the benefits of social media, the way I'd put it to them was, you are all now authors, you are all now editors, you are all now photographers. And, you know, when you look at the rise in much more socially driven content, you sort of think, well, surely it must be more trustworthy. But I do think that that there's probably been a real lack of trust in some of the stuff we see online, especially after the whole Trump saga. You know, I think things like that massively contribute to people's mistrust in what they read online. So if working in comms and being so digitally connected and social media exposed brings all of these pressures, what can we do about it? Well, one of the big things is to talk. And I appreciate there are many reasons why someone would not wish to disclose feelings of anxiety or stress or depression in the workplace. But provided the right support mechanisms are in place, talking is the very best thing you can do. The first time I ever spoke about my depression publicly was at a CIPR event in 2016. And that's not something I'd recommend, by the way. I didn't know what I was going to say that evening. I was as nervous as I have ever been speaking at an event. I just sat and talked for 20 minutes about my experiences. Until that point, I'd never told anyone verbally outside of my family, but it was kind of cathartic and it made a world of difference to me. Leanne agrees. I was asked to speak at a public sector comms conference because previously I'd spoken about inclusivity and diversity in the workplace and other other bits and pieces I've been involved in right up until the night before I still hadn't figured out what I was going to say and the decision for myself to out myself and say that I'd been diagnosed with a mental health condition was possibly one of the most terrifying days of my life but also the most fulfilling people just came down to the to the, end of the edge of the stage and just like I just want to give you a hug I just want to tell you how brave you are and the first couple of times people said that to me it was quite overwhelming like I was tearing up and I was very much you know thank you but the more and more I sort of thought about this language of you're very brave the more and more I started to feel like this reflects how society You have to be brave to speak about mental health. I mean, if I was talking about hip replacement or if I was talking about, you know, I'd broken an arm or I'd shattered every rib and come back from it. I'm not sure whether people would say, oh, you're you're so brave. And they meant it and they do mean it so earnestly and, and quite lovingly at times. The question of bravery is an odd one to address. I don't wish to make light of making that decision to speak up, and neither does Leanne. It scared the crap out of both of us, and let's face it, it takes balls. But it is the first step on the road to recovery. It's often the hardest thing you can do. I guess it's to acknowledge the fact that you've got a problem is probably the first thing to do. And if you acknowledge that internally yourself, if you're then able to make the step to actually tell someone about it, that's massive. I think that's, that's, that's a huge thing and that's something that really helped me as an individual. But it was probably the hardest thing I ever did. I've spoken at conferences since and, and, and that's been a breeze c- compared to the, those first discussions and first acknowledgements really. So let's talk about making things better. 
If you're suffering from stress or anxiety or depression, or if you're fed up with digital connectivity, but like I did, feel trapped by it, what can you do? Well, enforcing break times is pretty massive. Alistair, Leanne and myself have all removed most notifications from our mobile phones. And bear in mind, I'm a digital marketing consultant, but building time away from digital is so important. If I'm constantly connected to my phone, then I know I'm going to have a bit of a dip because I, I don't like that kind of constant information and connection. I find it quite tiring. If there's ways that people can maybe take themselves away from their social media for even a day or for three days and just do things that are, are more natural to them and, and, you know, going out in the countryside, going out with friends, I think that's just kind of switching off is a, is a huge thing. One thing I've learned and talking to lots and lots of different people over the past year or so is the ability to have that divide between personal and work on social when it comes to accounts is super, super important. And that's something that I really strongly endorse. You know, I think you should have the ability to switch off that work phone and walk away from it. And whether that's walking away from emails, whether it's walking away from the online social accounts that you are managing as a comms professional or the inbox messages or the ability to see people's comments and, and responses from something you've posted earlier in the day. You know, it would it used to really upset me if I'd posted something and I'd made a little error and then the comments would come in. You know, that would upset me for the whole night because I'd sit there and watch that with that phone in front of me. You know, even if I went on and changed it or went on and apologised, that would impact me and I'd walk in the next day already on my commute and think, oh God, I've got to apologise to, to this firefighter or I need to tell my manager that I really didn't mean to you know, put the wrong time down or the wrong street address or I haven't meant to upset someone. And I think that can all cause unnecessary worry and stress um, and can lead potentially to, to a level of anxiety about switching on a computer or something like that. It's not all about switching off though. Diet and exercise can play a massive role. Feed your body the right foods and increase endorphins through exercise, and that can really have an impact on your mental well-being. Step back and give yourself the time to look after yourself. And what about employers and managers? Well, what can you do? A lot of this is simply about taking the lead. It can be quite simple, really, because I think a lot of people tend to want that leadership and, and want to hear from, from the leadership on these kind of things. It's more giving people the reassurance, really, that if they do have a problem, that their their immediate kind of line management or their their senior colleague are open to listening to them, and, and they're not going to be judged on things. And I think that's difficult when you're trying to get ahead in your career because you don't want it to count against you. And that was always that was always in my mind when I was struggling. I didn't want to jeopardise kind of my career, or I think it's really. It's maybe making sure that the organisation or, or the, the people in the organisations, the managers, are fully trained in, in terms of understanding what mental health is uh, and are fully able to, to be able to listen to people without any prejudice. So going back to the very start of this show, I posed the question of whether digital connectivity is bad for our mental health. Well, my own opinion is yes, it can be, but it's not black and white. 
Were it not for social media, there is no way on earth I'd have a career as an independent consultant. Being connected to people I like and respect has not only given me a career, it also continues to enable me to learn so much from those people and to forge friendships I'd never have had other than through social media. But that connectivity can come at a price and only you can decide how much you're willing to pay and when it becomes too much. Social media is not evil, but please do ensure that you put your mental health first. Thanks to social media, I have been able to connect with other comms professionals up and down the country that I never, ever would have had the opportunity to meet, let alone have positive professional relationships and even friendships with. You are able to find people with those common interests and drive forward a conversation with them. I love the ability to be able to engage in so many different conversations with so many different people uh, and learn from others and, and make and make friendships and make professional relationships that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. But I do think I do think it has to be managed. And that's something that only you will figure out where your uh, levels and where your tolerances are. I'd like to thank both Leanne and Alistair for giving me their time and speaking so candidly for this episode. If you want to chat to them more, look them both up on Twitter. And until next time, please look out for one another. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Google Podcasts or wherever else you get your podcasts. And if you've got any ideas for future topics you'd like to see covered or people you'd like to hear from, contact me on Twitter where I'm at the Paul Sutton. Thank you for listening.